Set our hearts ablaze. 
Samuel chapter 19, beginning in verse 9. Now, all the people were in a district throughout all the tribes of Israel. Say, the king saved us, talking about David, from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over him, has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the sheep? So, King David sent to Zadok and Diaphanah, the priest saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, 
saved. Why are you the last to bring the kingdom back? Pause our reading there because I want to emphasize this last year. Why are you the last? Now, let me give you a little backstory for this passage. You remember David's life started in a downward spiral when he and Bathsheba had that adultery together. Out of that came also the murder of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, and one of David's friends and two sons. And out of that experience, he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, who told him that little parable about the man who had one sheep, and his neighbor had a bunch of sheep, but the neighbor had company that came, and so he went over and took the man's one sheep and killed it. And out of that parable, David got angry and said, well, that man that, that stole that sheep and killed it, he ought to be punished. Nathan pointed his bony finger at him and said, David, you're in. That's what you did. You killed your king. Now, out of that experience, uh, there came a series of events in David's life that get progressively out of control. There was a man who was in Hartford back in the 19th century named Charles Francis Adams. Charles Francis Adams was a very powerful politician. Uh, he was a writer. He had a passion about him for culture. He had a family. He had several children. One of his sons was named Brooke. One day, Charles Adams took his son, Brooke, fishing. And he kept a diary. So at the end of the day, this powerful politician wrote in his diary. Went fishing today. The next Sunday, it was a great story. The amazing thing is, his son Brooke had fishing. And on that same day, his son Brooke had been fishing. Went fishing with Michael Hansen, the great. Somewhere behind the there was a difference between that son and that father. David, I think, designed to visit his son. He was disconnected from his family. Remember Nathan told him when Nathan came to him and, and pointed his finger at him and and told him, you're the man. He said, David, you come with your sword. And the sword will never leave your And we see that live out in David, the rest of David's life. Tamar, his daughter, is raped by her half brother. We see that when uh, Amnon went into deceives her and has her to bring him to me and, and he's in love with her. He says that he is. Really, it's lust, not love. And then he rapes Tamar and then he sends her away. 
his love suddenly turns to him. Now, Tamar just happened to be Absalom. And so Absalom arranges then to murder his half brother. I wonder how they picked up the tools and how they did it. Could it be they picked it up from the church? The baby's life is fixing the house of God. That's what it looks like. Receives the people and gets their loyalty. Alienates the affection, awakens his dad, since David, David's dad. And he creates a coup d'etat. He rebels against the king David, raises an army, and David gets the word that Absalom is on his way to Jerusalem to take over the kingdom. And in our text, David has just decided that the best thing he can do is leave Jerusalem. And so all of David's supporters are going with him walking out of the city of Jerusalem. And uh, it's a sad, sad scene. We won't take the time to read it. But it describes David as walking up the Mount of Olives. If you go to visit the Holy Land, you walk out of Jerusalem down to the Valley of the Kidron and up to the, 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 the place where, where Jesus uh, met with his disciples and prayed, the Mount of Olives. And he's barefooted. And he has his head covered. This is a picture of humility, of, of acknowledging and repentance. He knows that he is in some ways paying for his sins. He's crying. But, but he has a loyal group that's following him. Now, why does he leave to do that? I think there's several reasons. I think he's leaving because he doesn't want to see his city. That's a city that is actually called the city of David. He doesn't want to see it destroyed. Uh, he, he also didn't want to... to uh, he didn't want to fight the battle of the troops in Jerusalem. He was well known for his acumen in battle out in the
What are you saying, Luke? Please don't kill us. Bring him back. Let him do it. But when Joab got rid of that Absalom was trying to drag him from the church, remember what happened? He said, Please see the dead body and put him up on the And the ten men from the Babylon got to the And Absalom became the husband How many times I did it? I wish I could have died. Now, when you come to this point, David realized that he can put this to do in order to get him out of this situation. And Joab says to him, Listen, you make us feel like you'd rather we got killed and Absalom did. And finally, he shook David to reality. David went out to the city and began to condemn the city. He's kind of coming back to him in this situation. Now, David is ready to go back and continue to And that's what I want to think about this morning. How do we get the king back to the church? How do we get the king back to our person? How do we get the king back back in our corporate life? Now, how do we get him back? Well, let, let's just consider real quickly a few of these things. Number one, why, why is he going with this? Why, what are the reasons for David and the king's life? Why is he out in the forest rather than being the leader of the king? Well, first of all, it's because he is, he is realizing the consequences. You know what the Bible says in Galatians 6 7? It says, Do not deceive. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, or bless that word for that shall be also reap. There's a law of the harvest. And David has been planting a lot of bad seeds. And now it's harvest time. And the law of the harvest simply means that we reap what we sow. He saw murder, and so now he's reaping murder. He saw rape, he's reaping rape. You see, he said he sowed disloyalty, he's reaping disloyalty. And that's what happens. We, we, we reap what we sow. But not only do we reap what we sow, we reap more than we sow. Farmers couldn't make a living if they if they planted a thousand seeds and only got back a thousand bowls of cotton or ears of corn. You reap more than you sow. So David is reaping exponentially more than he sowed. And you reap later than you sow. And so that law is coming to pass in David's life. He's out there in the woods because of something different. The Lord's not ruling on the throne of his life, not because not because, I mean, he's not ruling on the throne of Jerusalem, not because he didn't want to, but because he's forfeited that 
You see, the Lord has killed the children, and the baby died. So the country is just here because it's an inevitable consequence of a sin. Here's the second thing. Because of a creeping complaint. David is not in Jerusalem the throne, and part of that is because he had kind of become complacent. He was sixty years old. He had kind of lost his cutting edge in life. He had uh, the stories that they used to tell about David killing Goliath. You know, they were no longer fresh. Uh, now they were just old stories that were told around the fireplace at night. And so, so there was a complacency that had come into the situation. And that complacency had really been a big part of getting David off the throne and out into the wilderness. And that's something we have to watch for in our personal life and in the corporate life of our church is a complacency. I remember church life in World War II. I don't remember it personally. I was a kid. But I, I remember reading about it. Uh, you know, Churchill was such a hero in World War II. He really saved Great Britain through his leadership. But it wasn't for just a few years after World War II that they voted him out of office. And so I, part of our trip to England, to London, is to go out to the cemetery where Spurgeon is buried out there, several of his biographies, and couldn't wait to get out there to see the church come. And so we got to the cemetery, Westminster Cemetery, out in the suburbs of London. And just as we started into the cemetery, we saw a man coming through the cemetery, and uh, we had no idea where Spurgeon was buried. So I thought he's a local, he's an elder. And so I said to him, Sir, we're visiting here and we want to find the grave of Charles Hadley Spurgeon. Now, you've got to realize this. Charles Spurgeon is the greatest, in my humble opinion, is a Highlander. <laughs> he was the greatest Baptist preacher in the, in, in the late 1800s, in the mid to late 1800s. Here comes this right here. I said to him, So we're looking for the grave of Charles Spurgeon. These are his disciples. He said, Sorry, old dude. Never heard of Sorry, old dude. And so the reason why 
David is not overthrown is because of consequences, because of a creeping sense of complacency, and because of a rivalry. Number two, notice the result of this. Number one is question. Look at verse 19. Chapter 19, verse 19. He says, Then he said to the king, Do not let my lord accuse the iniquity to me. He says that. Can you all remember what wrong the servant did on the day that my lord became the threat? Now all the people were in a distance throughout all the tribes of Israel. So the king saved us from the hand of our enemies, he delivered us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he will spare us again. Here's what he's saying. That their custom, when the king is not on his throne, he throws everything out of hand. Out of his frustration, his ruling, that frustration led to a disregard for the king. You see, at one time, they would have done anything for anything. Remember that passage where David is in battle and they come down, and David just kind of said in a slight kind of comment, he said, Oh, I want to have a brother from the Lord of David. Remember that? And, and some of his closest friends of David risked their lives to go and get some water from the well of Bethlehem just to bring it to their king. That's how much they honored him. That's how much they loved him. That was a time in their life when the, the wishes of their king meant more to them than anything else in the world. This is the result of when the king is not ruling, when he's not Lord 
not not be Lord in practice. Now he's Lord, obviously, always. He, he's going to always be Lord. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. But there is a sense in which we we start ruling our own life. We we, we try to take over. And it's going to be clearly and that your greatest day in the future. 
And since David is saying, we're going to Gilgal, we want all the people to know. We want all the people to realize that we're, we're having a meal. But it was also a place for something to happen at that time. And that was that we went to people. They had not exercised perfect freedom for the Now, that is a quite satisfactory to the state In order for us to renewal to happen, David is calling on the people to come together to protect the power of God. I'm not going to ask you to do this for you, but you're going to have all of us. It's so important to this particular point. If you're going to look for opportunities to put it in Are three are gathered together in my name. Even after David comes back, there are still some remnants of his bad And a man of the name of Sheba tried to capitalize on that and bring another coup to this place. It just means that we've got to always be alert. Be alert. Always be looking for that perfect connection that we can get into there. I have a question on this. Jim Simula said, the goal of life is not to find freedom, but to find the right path. And if Jesus is your master, you cannot I was passing five miles down the road, the three elders did. Elders died. Next week, we were riding up the highway by the Georgetown. Right next door to Georgetown was a Presbyterian church. That Presbyterian church had a sign on it, like I've never seen. 